This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. Intel delivers fab news at White House. And Cray finishes 2016 in the black. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening into another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with Top500.org. I'm Addison Snell. That's Michael Feldman. Michael, This Week in HPC, one of the more unusual press announcements we've seen, I think, (laughs) as Intel was in the Oval Office in order to announce a new 7-nanometer compu- factory facility that's going to open in Arizona. Yeah, it was a strange thing to see. I just happened to be watching CNN at the time, and there's uh, Brian Kasanich, the CEO of Intel, in the Oval Office <laughs> talking to Trump and having this this sort of a press conference about this fab. And he's t- like you said, he's talking about this new fab they're going to open up uh, at some point, probably the next few years, in Chandler, Arizona. This is called Fab 42. Uh, it's one that's been in the works for a while. And this is going to be their 7-nanometer fab. And it's going to cost about $7 billion of an investment for for Intel. I mean, it was, it was always going to cost that much. But now uh, they've sort of put the stake in the ground and said, yes, they are going to begin work on it and build it up there in Chandler. Um and it's going to employ, I guess, around 3,000 people directly and maybe an, an additional 10,000 indirectly sort of to support those people and and the fabrication facility as well. So it's a big sort of PR opportunity for both Intel and Trump. Of course, Trump is always talking about keeping, uh, keeping jobs in the U.S. and expanding the job base. Uh, but it was just sort of an odd spectacle to see because it, it was uh, – quite political in a sense that you, you usually don't see the tech companies uh, be in this in this arena. Yeah, it's funny that you would say it's a PR opportunity for the sitting president of the United States. So you'd say, well, why does he need a PR opportunity for he's president? But nevertheless, he was his bombastic self right away in the introductions talking about uh, saying, literally saying, we're negotiating lots of deals for our country, which will be tremendous. He called Intel a great, great company. And he uh, offered, uh, and he said that Intel had a very big announcement having to do with our country, also having to do mostly with Arizona and the jobs and the great technology that will be produced. So this is Brian, right? And that was, here's your introduction to the Intel CEO and and Trump uh, really wants to make the point that uh, that uh, that there's great economic policy for growth here and that the he's, in a sense he's claiming credit for these jobs now for his part you know BK in his comments he got asked directly is this something that you know was already being planned did you know that. Uh, you were going to be doing this. And uh, and Krizana said they've been working on this factory for several years. They'd held off until doing the investment until now. And he said that the reason that they're doing it now is, quote, it's really in support of the tax and regulatory policies that we see the administration pushing forward that really make it advantageous to do manufacturing in the U.S. So, Michael, back to you on the journalist side. You know, to what extent do you think the timing of this announcement and the location of this announcement really has to do with the Trump administration policies? Well, not much at all. I mean, like like Brian admitted, this was in the works for a while. This seven nanometer factory was going to be built, and I think they were always planning to build it in Chandler. Um, 
it's not like they were going to skip building that factory. Otherwise, they wouldn't have a seven nanometer factory when it when the time comes around 2020 or shortly thereafter. So uh, it's seven billion dollars. It's a big undertaking. They have to start it in a in a relatively you know uh, a short time frame. It's not like they can wait till 2020 and think about it. Uh, like this is all this has been in the pipeline to to link it to regulatory and tax policies yeah, seems disingenuous. I mean, for one thing, those regulatory and tax policies that Intel thinks it it's going to have or it's going to want are not in effect yet. That has to not just go through Trump. That has to go through the 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 sitting Congress, and it's going to take a while to get uh, anything different in there. There's you know it, it's it's a it's a long process. Uh, to talk about it that way makes it looks like he's supporting Trump, or at least he wants to support the policies he's putting forward. And uh, he's sort of not—you wouldn't say he's extorting the the country, but he's saying this is the kind of thing that would help us build this factory in a in a in a, in a good way. But they're going to build it anyway. I mean, they're—they've already basically set aside this money. They—they've committed to building this factory, so. Sort of the whole thing in the timeline doesn't make sense. It just seems like they're patting each other on the back, but it was all sort of a foregone conclusion anyway. Well, yeah, I think for the most part, I agree with you in this case that Intel certainly would have been planning to do a factory. There's a question of when would they have announced they're going to do the factory and a little bit of a question of where. I think it is possible that Intel's decisions were influenced by the idea that the current administration and a Republican-controlled Congress would be at least neutral and potentially a favorable tax and regulatory environment over the next several years for them to be making the announcement of the factory and starting work on it. Um, you know, would they have eventually announced this same factory? Would it have still been in Arizona? I think they definitely would have the factory. I think it probably would have been in Arizona. I think for BK to to link it to you know uh, future policy is is maybe a little bit of sleight of hand, uh, but not so much that he's up there feeling like he's lying. He'll take advantage of the free PR opportunity. What I really think is going on is the other direction. I think you're right. It's a PR grab for the current, the new administration in the U.S. to say, see, see, we're already bringing back jobs. Here we go. Here's all these new jobs for Americans. But, of course, Trump does it in a sort of businessman way and just like like you were saying at the beginning, just hypes it up. Like they're an unbelievable company and product and all this stuff. And you, you have to wonder, companies like NVIDIA and, and uh, AMD are looking on and seeing sort of this commercial sort of orchestrated by the sitting president thinking, why is he doing that? I mean, that's that's unfair to us. You know, we, you know, that's that's something that you know you wouldn't normally fear from uh, an administration or or even a, a Congress, and yet he sort of made a big point about this. And it's I think it's just something that Trump tends to step into a lot because he's he's a business guy and he can't quite get out of business mode, even when he's acting. He's supposed to be acting as, as the as the leader of the free world. Well, let me ask you this, Michael. You're a journalist. Let's imagine you're there in that room and get a chance to ask a question. What question would you have asked about this? Well, I think one thing I would have asked was about Intel's sort of position in in Trump's uh, travel ban, because they were one of the 97 companies that actually filed court papers uh, last week or the week before opposing that travel ban. Um, they've 
like I said, they were one of 97, but they, they were definitely against that. And it was used in court to actually help overturn that traffic, the travel ban, at least in the short term. Not, o- not um, overturn. It's, it's stayed. Right, There's a stay stayed. on it. It's not overturned. Right, Right. There's a stay on it. Now it has to go back to court. And so that'll that'll work its way out. But um, so Intel took a position against Trump there. Now, that would have been sort of an, an embarrassing thing to to do to Brian at, at that point. But Intel is not, you know, Intel has is going to have its uh, its battles with Trump. I mean, Trump has spoken out against the H-1B program, something that Intel uses just like most of the tech companies in Silicon Valley and elsewhere. Um, it's not always good to be supporting this administration. Um, that yeah. could certainly have been brought up. I think I would have sort of pursued that line. Um, but and I also might have just sort of dug a little deeper into, you know, what was the what was the timeline on this fab to begin with, and what kind of regulatory and tax policies are you actually looking at that would make this more advantageous now? See, that's why I think you can't make the leap to say this demonstrates any kind of a Trump endorsement by. Uh, by BK or by Intel in any way. But, you know, you look at it and say, would you like the chance to stand on national television in a story everyone's going to talk about, have the president of the United States call your company a great, great company, and you get to hold up a seven nanometer wafer and wave at the camera. Yeah, I think most most CEOs would find a reason to go ahead and do that. Well, I don't know. I mean, to some extent, that's true. But you have to be a little careful. Trump is not the actually the most popular guy in this country right now. He's got a, a disapproval rating that is a little bit higher than his approval rating. So a lot of people that consume Intel products um, might look askance at this sort of spectacle. In fact, uh, I would think Intel might have had a little bit of concern about that. But obviously, they uh, if they weighed that at all, they decided to go ahead and do this. But I don't think it was without its risks. Well, what I want to see now is a picture of the White House and a little Intel inside caption for the, for the Oval <laughs> Office. Yeah, exactly. All right. Now let's talk about some things going on in the in the big supercomputing space because also this week in HPC, Cray wrapped up its 2016 numbers, which isn't unusual. All the companies are wrapping up their 2016 numbers. And, yep. you know, it, it, but we look at Cray a lot of the time because – as a company that is a public company, 100% essentially focused on high-performance computing, it's easy to use the company as a bellwether for the industry, whereas you know, other companies like Dell or HP or IBM or Atos or NetApp all have roles in high-performance computing, but but the, the high-performance computing numbers are going to be, be buried at the corporate level. Now, Cray... It, their business is chunky, but you say it's all HPC. It skews towards supercomputing, so we're used to looking at Cray and thinking, well, this maybe has something to do with how the supercomputing market is doing. And they'd been getting beat up all through 2016, but it looks like they had a strong finish to the year after all. Yeah, they had a record fourth quarter, which which actually saved them because up until then it looked like they might record a loss for the year. Um, what happened though, the fourth quarter was a record year of something north of 300 million in revenue and they made 51 million in profit just in that quarter. So for the year they posted a $10 million profit, which was very narrow, especially, uh, compared to some of the, the recent ones they've been, they've been posting, but they did manage to squeak that out. But without that fourth quarter, they would have been at a loss for the year. You know, the big thing that I find important here, though, is that they've put it together a string of profitable years. This is what their seventh right. consecutive profitable year. 
Yep, seventh consecutive year. And and it's really a remarkable turnaround they've had under Pete Ungaro as the CEO. And the Cray's business is inherently chunky. They can have a couple deals move one way or another. You're, you're selling a relatively small number of relatively large things. And it's easy to make or miss a quarter based on a couple of individual things that happen. It's easy to make or miss a year based on a couple of individual things that happen. So to be able to put together a string of seven consecutive profitable years, I think is is a remarkable thing and does show that there's inherently good demand for supercomputers in general. I don't know that you could say it's a huge booming market right now, but but good for Cray for turning it around in Q4 and hitting a profit on the year. Yeah, and, and the downside of this, and, and Peter Ungar talked about this in the uh, in the investor call, is that the the HPC market and especially the supercomputing market at the high end is, is sort of flattening, has been flattening for a while. And certainly last year it did. So they had, although their their win rate's very good right now, they they're getting a lot of uh, a, a good share of that market. There aren't as many systems going through that pipeline right now. So if 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 that market slows down, like you said, it consists of a lot of big systems for the for the most part. So if you miss one or two systems, that's a lot of money, and all of a sudden you've missed your uh, you've missed your guidance by by far uh, a lot of money. But they did manage to, to squeak it out, like we said, because they had a good a good fourth quarter. A lot of the big systems were accepted in that fourth quarter, and they've got you know hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue. But if you see that flattening out or even retreating a little bit more, it could be a a tough year come 2017. Although uh, what they're what they're looking at right now, although they they don't know, they're looking at 2017 basically like like 2016. They don't, they don't see the supercomputing market picking up to any extent at this point. So it's going to be sort of another uh, sort of slowing year for them, and, and they're going to probably uh, struggle to to make a profit again. Well, Cray gets a, a lot of its business, as much as they've done a good job diversifying in a lot of areas, Cray gets yeah. a lot of its business in the U.S., and they also get a lot of their business in public sector research, regardless of whether it's in the U.S. Now, U.S. public sector research is kind of a double whammy. They're looking at everything that's going to come down through NSF and DOE, and we've already talked about you know the potential impact of those budgets are, are yet unknown in the current administration, but I think you've got to be looking at to what extent can you rely on industrial sales? To what extent can you rely on business outside the U.S.? And, you know, Cray, uh, as I said, has diversified into a lot of those markets. They're not totally handcuffed to how much money is the DOE going to give them this year. But I, I think there there has to be for Cray and a lot of other vendors in this industry, a lot of wait and see in terms of how budgets will play out in 2017. Right. And, and the long-term plan is is to diversify into those markets in a much bigger way. I mean, they want to they want to have a much bigger footprint in the commercial market, which in certain cases isn't as weak as as the uh, public sector market. And they also want to get more deeply ensconced in the data analytics part of the market as well. But sort of both of those businesses for Cray are, are immature, so right now they're not taking up that slack. But um, if they pursue that path and they execute well, at some point in the future. Uh, it, it might be something to shore up uh, their growth in a year when their supercomputing uh, business remains flat or slow. 
The important thing is in our budget surveys, we have seen continued thawing there where people are expecting better growth on the end user side. We've got to see how much the energy uh, segment can come back. We'll, we are going to have to wait and see on the public sector research and what's going to happen yep. there. But uh, I think this will be an important year to look at uh, what really goes on with those budgets for future outlooks. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see that. And it'll be interesting to see how Cray manages to, to, to navigate that through the year. I know they've got some uh, some big things on the horizon, but uh, it's, it's always going to be a challenge for a company that sells $100 million supercomputers to sort of navigate that sort of tricky uh, – that tricky market. One other quick thank you. I'd like to thank the HPC Advisory Council who put on another successful meeting this time at Stanford on Tuesday and Wednesday this week. You can look at hpcadvisorycouncil.com to uh, check out any of the resources that are, are coming out of that. And we look forward to continuing to support those. Next meeting coming up for them is uh, in April in Lugano. So check out the HPC Advisory Council website. Um, but until then, we'll uh, wrap it up for this week. Thanks again, Michael, and thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.